Welcome to 20 a Day, the podcast where we talk about the Star Trek universe holodeck episodes <laughs> and all related matters. I am, as always, Nathan Paletta. And I'm Epidiah Ravishaw. And this time we are coming to you from the juicy middle of Star Trek <laughs> Deep Space Nine with Season 4, Episode 10, Our Man Bashir. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I guess this is the, the point where we do, talk about why we decided to do this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, you gave me two options, <laughs> and I went with the one that was uh, James Bond-related because I just recently watched the first two Bond movies. Hmm. So uh, expect some information from that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is uh, very, very much, very much on the nose as a homage to uh the bond mm-hmm. stuff i guess yeah we've been kind of we've had a bit of a pattern of these uh where since we've kind of did the real core um you know holodeck right episodes like here you know here's a uh kind of starting from our origin point with the uh with the next generation ones with uh picard's detective character dixon hill dixon hill yes yes um so yeah we've we've kind of fallen into the i think next class of a lot of these which is the uh fun one-off homage episode so we did the bride of chaotica from voyager yes fistful of datas uh from mm-hmm. next generation so you know you have your your pulp serial stuff uh your western and now we're getting our 60s spy thriller we had a mobster one too right with a uh, rat pack with um uh yeah that was also ds9 um yeah what was it what's his name frankie valentine no no it's a uh, uh vic fontaine vic fontaine With that's vic it. fontaine yeah yeah so this is a this is a fun vein i i think i, I do like that uh r <laughs> if i if i get i'm gonna get a little meta here mm-hmm. we're gonna get real meta uh mm-hmm. this is a after all a holodeck based podcast right we're kind of at the point where we're stretching our premise as far as we can. Right. While also following Star Trek, stretching its premise as far as it can. Like that's, the, which is great. I think that's, we're in it together. Mm-hmm. When looking at the episodes, you know, so kind of available for us, uh, mm-hmm. I think there is one subgenre that we haven't gotten into yet, which is the uh, espionage slash trick right episode where someone is in a situation where it becomes revealed eventually that they're in a hollow simulation it's yeah. not necessarily on a hollow deck but like it's the same you know kind of technology and so those are more usually serious episodes as opposed to the ones we've been doing which tend to be these more fun episodes uh, i just kind of realized looking through that we haven't really done um any of those yet so we still have a little bit of of uh, uh we- area to tread have we dipped our toes into Voyager? I don't know if we have. Oh, Bride of We did Bride Chaotica. of Chaotica, which is a fun one. Um, there's there's a Voyager two-parter right. that we might want to do at some point, which is like uh, where I think it's a two-parter. I think it even crosses like the end of one season, beginning yeah. of another season, where they're trapped in World War II on their holodeck and they don't know it. Um, but... Who knows what the future holds for 20 a day? Right. Yeah, we we, we, we do have uh, a decent amount of material still mm-hmm. still before us. But it was just a realization uh, I had as looking down the list of, uh, you know, available uh, episodes for our remit. Um, this episode uh, coming out in November 1995. 
coming out shortly after the debut of um was it Goldeneye? Oh, the the video game? No, the the movie. Okay. Um so yes, this episode airs 10 days after the release of Goldeneye, which was the, you know, the 90s reboot uh with Pierce Brosnan. Right. Um, right. Leading to one of the greatest video games of all time as mm-hmm. uh, as previously stipulated. Um but uh uh, most of the fun facts here are just pulled from the Memory Alpha page. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, you know as much as I do in terms of reading a web page. But, <laughs> um, yeah, it was intentionally put in the lineup to try and capitalize on... The, yeah, the zeitgeist. The zeitgeist, yeah. Yeah. This one is written by... Well, it's a teleplay by Ronald D. Moore, uh, producer and, you know, later Battlestar Galactica... Uh, uh, showrunner, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, story by Bob Gillen, um, who was a producer. Uh, he, did, he produced a bunch of Star Trek, including the First Contact movie and, and other things. Um, and this is his only writing credit. Mm. So I don't know what the story is there other than he apparently had this idea. And right. the producers were like, yeah, that sounds good. And then more uh typed it up <laughs> may not typed it up that's a little yeah 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 uh, diminutive uh or you know turned it into the, the the screenplay but uh it was a big deal um they spent a ton of money on this episode compared to most oh. deep space nine episodes for locations or yeah for locations and sets and costume i guess um, it had the longest production of any single episode in wow. the series. It had a nine day shooting schedule where most of them had, um, seven or eight. Wow. It was both the sets and setups and also stunts and doing reshoots for stunts. Mm-hmm. I would not have said like, Hey, what Star Trek episode has a lot of stunts and thought of this one. But right. I think that's because the premise of this one, you just accept like, Oh yeah, there's going to be like people flying through windows and stuff like that when you hear of a star trek stunt you immediately think of like a phaser and then someone falling to the floor or jumping over something and then that's it right like mm-hmm. you don't think of of, right. of that happening with the champagne cork mm-hmm. yeah there's a quote here from the director uh a fifty thousand dollar set cost seventy five thousand dollars because there was twenty five thousand dollars worth of overtime and weekend work <laughs> so wow. there you go that director is uh, Winrich or Win- Winrich. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce his name. Uh, Colby. Uh, this is one of his 13 episodes of Deep Space Nine. Uh, he also did a bunch of next, gen- well, he, you know, ended up in the franchise doing Next Generation. You know, has a, has a ton of ton of credits across various TV properties. One of his earliest directing credits is for a little series called The Rockford Files, hmm. where he directed the series finale of that. Um, of that particular show, wow. Deadlock in Parma. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'd like, I've been meaning to check that show out. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to start with the series finale, but right. I, I, I will watch it. Uh, he also did an episode of Voyagers, exclamation point, which I know is a oh, yes. favorite of yours. Uh, and a bunch of Knight Rider before he ends up uh, doing Next Generation stuff. Oh, did he do the, I think he might have done the the pilot for Voyagers. Oh, he also directed the series finale for um, for Next Generation. He he directed All Good Things, if I remember right. I'm not looking at his entry right now, but I think that's... So he's he's the director you call if you want to put, put something to bed. Apparently, yeah. But yeah, that's uh, kind of the production stuff. Um, I guess we are ready to 
get into our cold open for the episode. Yeah. Hey, Epi, did you know that we are a 100% listener-supported show? I did not know that. Wait, I, I did. I did. <laughs> and it is because of our patrons over Ooh. at patreon.com slash 200 today. In addition to our gratitude, patrons also receive exclusive episode previews and plus expenses. Now, that is the podcast before the podcast. And that's where we talk about other stuff going on in our lives mm -hmm. and games and movies and all kinds of things. Yeah. We extend special thanks to our gumshoe patrons supporting this episode of 200 a day. Brian Burnson has a Facebook page where he drives his Rockford tribute car to shooting locations from the show. Check out facebook.com slash Brian Rockford files. Join Mitch Hampton to examine all matters aesthetic and what it means to be human at the Journey of an Aesthete podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Dale Norwood wrote a book, Find Trading Freedom, How Trade with China Defined Early America, Wherever Good Books Are Sold. It's about fast ships, cheap drugs, and American political economy. Chuck from whatyoureading.com. Paul Townend, who also recommends the podcast Fruit Loops, Serial Killers of Color at fruitloopspod.com. Shane Liebling, his site rollforyear.party, has all of your online dice rolling needs. Jay Adon, check out his amazing miniature painting skills over at jayadon.com. Andre Apignani, Tom Clancy, Pumpkin Java Peach Pug, Dave P., Dave Otterson, Kip Holly, and Dale Church. And finally, we can't thank our detective patrons enough for their generous support of the show. Joe Greathead, Michael Zalisco, Eric Antenor, at Antenor on Twitter, Brian Pereira, at Thermoware, Jordan Bockelman, not Brockelman, at Jordan Bockelman, Bill Anderson, at BillAnd88, and of course, Richard Haddam, at Richard Haddam. We follow them too, at 200pod. If you're interested in helping keeping us going, you could do so for as little as a dollar an episode at patreon.com slash 200 a day. Thank you. Thanks so much. This is, I mean, it's a fun episode. I'm just going to uh, lay that out. Spoilers. <laughs> I enjoyed watching this episode. I, I will also say, and I think I probably brought this up before, uh, I have not rectified the fact that I'm not as familiar with Deep Space Nine as I am with Next Generation or Vo uh, Voyager or uh, the original Star Trek. Like, it's mm -hmm. one that eventually I should just watch it during my lunch hour or something mm -hmm. like that. Like, uh, I just, it's it's not come up and I've heard good things. I've enjoyed all the episodes that we've watched here on the show. But I there are moments where this one in particular kind of relies on you uh, knowing characters. Yeah, yeah, and, a little bit. And, and enjoying the, the contrast maybe or so. And I picked up that that exists, but I, I didn't have the deep knowledge of... Uh, uh, Deep Space Nine to yeah. to really, and I still quite enjoyed the episode, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I think the main thing is about uh, uh, Garrick, which I'll yeah. I'll fill in a little bit about that um, in a minute. We just have a brief interruption to our 20 a day episode to remind all of our 200 a day listeners yes. that as of when this airs, we will still be running our shirt pre-order. What do you think about these shirts that we've designed? <laughs> Well, I would say if you're a fan of uh, Windrich Colby's work, particularly <laughs> the series finale of The Rockford Files, um, I would absolutely pick up. These shirts are lovely. These uh, We've got two of them. Should I describe them? Is that yes. a thing I should do here? Sure. We've got two shirts available. One uh, as is a, a faithful reproduction of The Rockford Files' 
the Jim Rockford Detective Agency Yellow Page ad, except that it's 200 a day, the podcast. Mm -hmm. And instead of having uh, James Gardner's lovely face on it, it has our mugs, Mm -hmm. uh, which you can enjoy. And then the uh, other one is the classic four things Helvetica. Mm-hmm. What what do we call that? What like um, I'm calling it the cast shirt. So the cast shirt, yeah, yeah. So it, it's uh, uh, it's based on that Beatles shirt that became a meme, right? Where you just had all four first names of the Beatles. It's it's the cool Helvetica shirt. Mm-hmm. Jim and Beth and Dennis and Rocky and then in parentheses and Angel. Yes, because <laughs> you got five. You gotta mm-hmm. you gotta get Angel in there, Jimmy. Jimmy, you gotta get Angel in there. <laughs> We're running a short pre-order so that we print to suit for our uh, for folks who want a shirt. Um, they're twenty five dollars. You can get one or the other or both, I suppose, if you really if you really want. And of course, you should know where to get them, which is ndpdesign.com slash Rockford. Um, we are doing it as a fun thing for us and also as a way for people who enjoy the show to give us, you know, a little bit of one-time support if uh, the Patreon is not a, a good fit right. for you. Um, so hopefully we'll, uh, you know, be able to outfit some torsos with some sweet <laughs> podcast-related merchandise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, commercialism aside, I suppose, uh, it's time to get back to the far future with mm-hmm. 20 a day. <laughs> As one might expect, our cold open gets right into the action (laughs) where we have a slow-mo shot of a man in a leather jacket and an eye patch come flying backwards through a plate glass window, uh, which is apparently freestanding in the middle of a, a like a bar, like a casino bar. And then we go to... Uh, our man Bashir, uh, Dr. Bashir, in a tux, being handed a bottle of champagne by uh, what I describe as a buxom blonde. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very uh, admiring of his uh, his prowess. I would I refer to her as a, a Bashir girl, right? Ah, like the way yes. they had, or Bond women, Bond girls. Let's go with women. He's a Bashir woman. Yeah. <laughs> in the reflection of the champagne bottle, he sees this goon get back Mm -hmm. up and come back towards him with a knife. And so he suddenly turns and shoots the champagne cork into the other eye of the (laughs) eye patched, uh, uh, goon taking him down and has a, uh, a classic pithy line, a lot of kick for a 45 Dom. (laughs) The woman asks who he is. Mr. Bashir. Julian Bashir. They have a uh, requisite kiss, and that is when we cut to Garrick, also in a tux, clapping. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and assume that most 20 a Day listeners are familiar with the cast of uh, Deep Space mm-hmm. Nine. <laughs> um, but For my benefit. <laughs> yeah, for your benefit, in order to illuminate the dynamic here. Uh, Garrick is a, he's a humble tailor uh, on, the, on the station. He's mm. Cardassian. Um, but he, you know, is kind of an, an exile. Uh, he is not welcome back in Cardassia. And I think so. this is in the middle of the fourth season. I forget exactly what the timeline is, but one of the subplots uh, in these slowly moving um, uh, storylines is the question about and then and then determination that Garrick was a uh, was a spy, was an intelligence agent for the uh, Cardassian agency called the obsidian order so he refers to that later in the episode yes yeah yeah i got that bit (laughs) 
there's a standing question kind of throughout the series about whether he is still an ex-agent or not. Like, is he still active? And part of his cover is that, oh, I used to be an agent, but now I'm not welcome back in Cardassia. Like, there's there's a, a an ongoing kind of question mark about where his true loyalties lie and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, that's fun. Um, in addition to that, uh, his relationship with Bashir becomes increasingly intricate. Garrick is... Uh, has a lot of gay coding in his ah. character or mannerisms, not so much in this episode, right? but I think that's one thing that people really took away, especially at the time of like, uh, I don't know if representation is right. Again, I came to this later. I didn't watch this when it was mm-hmm. originally airing. Right. I watched the whole series a couple times in the, you know, last 15 years. Um, but he's kind of like a b- part of his character and part of his relationship with Julian in particular is a little bit of like, is there a romantic edge to this? Right. And is that for real or is that part of his affect in order to gain some kind of edge over these people who don't take him seriously, you know, or something like that. So he's actually, he's a pretty complex character um, throughout the series. Uh, Like I definitely picked up on the, um, what I'll, I'll refer to as the charged moment before a, kiss mm. that you see on wwe all the time right <laughs> yes. like or, where the two are facing off very close to each mm-hmm. other and you're like, mm. like there's, there's there's certainly mm. getting sweat on each other yeah, yeah yeah i just looked this up because you you mentioned that he's a tailor which i did not know mm-hmm. this is not in the like it may, the episode makes it clear that he is a uh, a former spy uh, i did not know that he was a tailor and a humble oh, tailor a humble tailor and I wondered if that was a uh, reference to The Tailor of Panama, the Lacari novel that became uh, a movie starring Pierce Bronson as a British spy. The Tailor of Panama is uh, it's a fun movie. I, 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 I recommend it. And it, it came out uh, in 2001 and it feels like the movie feels like a send up of James Bond in the same way that we'll see kind of come out in this of like what real espionage is like versus the the feel of what James Bond is. And I don't know if that's, that's not the whole point to the Taylor of Panama, but it, it definitely sits on top of it or whatever. But when I looked it up, it turns out the Lacare novel didn't even come out until the year after this. So now I'm wondering Ooh. if Lacare was making <laughs> reference. Lacare, <laughs> I'm sure a huge, uh, a huge Trek nerd. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, if anyone knows, let us know. All right. Obviously, this is a hollow novel, a hollow simulation. Mm -hmm. It is uh, a new one that Bashir has recently acquired. Garrick is interested because he's been spending all of his time in it. Um, And uh, Bashir, of course, is is miffed that his uh, privacy is being intruded upon. It's like it's illegal. Apparently. (laughs) Yeah, that was a very interesting note. Uh, when it comes to entertainment law, like you, it's illegal to enter some. First of all, it seems very easy to enter someone else's holodeck program, but it's also illegal. Mm-hmm. This is one of these things where the law and how easy it is may be different on Deep Space Nine than, right? Say a spacecraft like. Uh, but it just was. It was very interesting to me. <laughs> it yeah, it's it's an interesting note. Uh, in context of DS9, because the Hollow Suites are not Federation. They are part of Quark's bar. So, like, right. Quark runs the Hollow Suites as a profit concern. Um, so he charges people to you mm-hmm. know, be in them, uh, as opposed to, like, on the Enterprise, where, uh, you know, the, hol- the holodeck is, like, 
you know, somewhere you can get assigned or whatever, right? It's available, you know, I'm sure you have, yeah. maybe you have to have some kind of clearance, some technical clearance or something for it. Uh, but like, there's one thing about how Federation starships seem to be is that they have this very communitarian, it's all military property. So right. everyone can go everywhere kind of thing uh, to their detriment because they have terrible security. But anyway, <laughs> that's actually going to be interesting a little bit later on in this particular episode mm-hmm. about who owns what and who has access right. to what. Yeah. And that's one of the fun things about DS9 is because it gives itself the setting with the overlapping um, realms of like influence. Mm-hmm. These little questions just naturally become part of the texture of the show uh, in a way that makes it feel a little more, I mean, more real, right? For a lack of better, better yeah. term more grounded i suppose in like real world concerns anyway this is a lot of uh, uh a lot yeah, of, yeah. <laughs> of digression during our cold open um there's a, a line where, where garrick uh he's always trying to get under bashir's skin right yeah. and so he says like you must be really embarrassed of what you're doing here to have such an <laughs> extreme reaction is this fantasy of yours truly truly revealing of your inner psyche <laughs> bashir says it's just a fantasy well if you have nothing to hide why not let me see and Bashir's like, okay, fine. During this, the lady has left. Um, and Garrick says, I wonder what scared her away. <laughs> Julian gives him a look. And we end with a, you know, a, a good boating set of lines. I can see I'm going to regret this. Don't worry, Doctor. We're going to have a wonderful time. After all, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> and we go into our... Deep Space Nine credits. Mm-hmm. One thought I had during this was that at this point in like Star Trek's life as a franchise, everyone making the episode knows that everyone watching the episode is going to go, "Oh, it's a holodeck episode." Right, right. <laughs> I think that I think that line, "What could possibly go wrong?" is like is, is lampshading. Like, all right, everyone, something's yeah. going to go wrong. <laughs> Get ready. You know it, and we know it. Yeah. That puts a lot of pressure on this, that opening, the cold opening. But I thought, like, you know, like, okay, we're going to have a holodeck episode. You know it's going to be a holodeck episode. Uh, but can we intrigue you right. with this holodeck episode? And uh, I think they did a lot of good things there. I think, like, a lot of fun James Bondy things. But then also, like I said, I did not know the, the Garrick-Bashir dynamic. But I caught enough of it to know, mm-hmm, so, something's going to happen here. All right, so we start our episode proper in Bashir's uh, room, uh, for lack of a better term, his his suite, <laughs> um, in 1964 Kowloon. Um, we're kind of scene setting uh, visually and also Bashir explaining to Garrick, mm, you know, yeah. here's what this premise is. And I think this is a good amount where it's like, he said, you know, he specifies the year. He says we're in Kowloon, part of Hong Kong. Our original, you know, the that thing we were just in, that was Paris. Uh, he, he says, I'm a jet setter. Garrick's like, jet setter? And then we actually <laughs> cut off before we get into like, and now here's a bunch of ephemera that the viewers of the show know. Like, yeah. we all know what this means. So he can stop explaining it to Garrick and we can get on with the with the episode. Garrick did have a good understanding of Earth geography of the time. Mm. Like he understood that Paris and Hong Kong were separated by a, a good chunk of the planet, um, which is nice. One thing I like about the the decor is that it's a nice like it's not purely um period like it does yeah. feel to me like it's a Star Trek version of yes. like people who live in this time replicating 
something they that may be dimly echoed through the centuries but like yeah there's weird there's ways that like the panels have like holes in them and stuff like that where it's like that's star trek like that you know doesn't look like james bond specifically uh the costumes uh are similar where like you know tuxes and suits and stuff are pretty standard but like we are introduced to bashir's personal valet mona loves it (laughs) who is wearing a pinstripe short skirt power suit with Mm. uh, a low-cut blouse with lots of lots of cleavage the first of our our bondy names Mm -hmm. our bondesque i think bondesque she has a, uh, a a briefcase that uh, Bashir has her put away, and she touches <laughs> a button, and a big panel revolves, and it's covered in guns and other weapons. Uh, Garrick asks if she's a valet or an assassin, <laughs> and Bashir runs down all of her many skills, uh, mm-hmm. all the languages she speaks, all her knowledge, areas of knowledge, etc., and explains that this is his, you know, he's a spy. All of this equipment and her, and his valet have been provided to him by his government as part of his, you know, operation. I work for a government called Great Britain, and we're in a conflict called the Cold War. (laughs) Uh, Garrick, upon seeing, you know, all the splendor of the 60s spy, Mm -hmm. says, I think I joined the wrong intelligence service. (laughs) Yes, this is uh, the beginning of his his whole, this is not what espionage is really like, shtick. Uh, of course, we know that something's going to go wrong, so we uh, are going to get to that immediately. <laughs> Captain Sisko and the rest of the bridge crew is returning in a runabout from some conference, and suddenly there's a fluctuation in the warp core. Oh, no. Um, it's going to breach. The ejection module is missing. They've been sabotaged. The crew includes O'Brien, but yep. they have their kind of second engineer, uh, Eddington, is on the is on the station. Eddington is also a character who is he's kind of a secondary character who gains prominence and then ends up having there's a whole storyline about him. So mm. I don't remember again exactly when that happens, but I think this episode actually is establishing some context for Eddington and he gets increasingly important through the rest of the oh, season. Okay. So I don't know if he seemed like someone slightly more elevated than a random other crewman, um, but he is. I didn't recognize him and I would recognize most of the core cast. So I was thinking, uh, okay, but he had enough like lines. Right. Right. Proactive enough that I was like, okay, so this isn't just like somebody that, uh, cause sometimes you, you know, they'll, there's someone that they convey orders to or something like that. And it's not, he's similar to, I mean, he doesn't have the same role, but similar to like a, a Barkley or something where it's like, mm-hmm. Oh, this is a character that actually has stories that we yeah. see, you know, over time. I do want to say, I don't, maybe you're about to talk about when they cut the power to the shuttle, but it's just wonderful how the shuttle or the, um, runner, is that what they call it? Uh, Whatever the runabout, it I think is what runabout. It's yeah. yeah. Uh, when they cut power, it comes to a dead stop because <laughs> mm. that's what happens when you cut power to a spaceship is that right. it stops moving when, when its engine is no longer working momentum, whatever. <laughs> I don't care. Well, fortunately, the space nine is able to beam them off just as it explodes, uh, in the nick of time. And then we see them start to materialize on the pad, but then there's a big flash of light and it's just smoke where they were. Uh Oh, Odo is running around with Eddington trying to figure out figure out what happened. Uh, we get a bunch of good techno babble about pattern buffers and degradation, etc. Um, what has happened is that the 
uh, the, the transporter still has their patterns, but because they're such complex beings, because that's their entire pattern, including their neurological yeah. patterns, it can't hold them for long. So they're going to degrade. They need to put them somewhere else until they can fix the transporter and rematerialize them. I just want to note that this, like, it's clear that this is a, uh, what, what are we looking for here? This is a an excuse to uh, get everything involved in the holodeck and, and you right. know, all that. Um, and I don't know if we want to, but, like, it leaves questions of identity <laughs> that they come up with teleporters, Star Trek teleporters right. anyways. Like, that has always exist. But, like, wow, there's, like, some <laughs> really big questions here about, like, continuation of existence and whether mm-hmm. or not the what they get at the end of well the nature of consciousness maybe we just just witnessed the death of most of the cast and then it's just a completely different i don't probably not something for us to tackle <laughs> here, but it is amazing how this episode it's just the premise yeah it's just the premise it's yeah. just the premise. it doesn't matter well uh, they can't find anywhere big enough to store the patterns. Yes. Uh, and so Eddington sa- tells the computer to override, wipe all memory necessary. <laughs> it, the lights go down. They check a uh, one one panel that's still on. The patterns have been saved, but where are they? Mm-hmm. I do like the implication that the nature of the full consciousness of yes a couple <laughs> of like four people is more than the entire memory capacity of a space station. Like, right. I kind of like that. <laughs> it, I, I, it, it did have me thinking about the nature of like, okay, so they have a buffer mm-hmm. that can, obviously can store this because that's maybe the how point. Transporters work. Yeah. How transporters work. Uh, but it can't store it for long. So something, and you know, some, something about the nature of that buffer is it like they can expand it really fast, fill it with data, but it, they have to get it out as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. And like, I have no, uh, no need to go into why I'm, I'm willing to accept all of that. And so then they have to like shove it somewhere else. What's interesting in the context of what you had said earlier is that they have the ability, but we haven't actually gotten to where they've gone, but we are, we mm-hmm. all know where they're going to go. Right, like right, there's right. no, there's no question here. Um, those holodecks are part of Quark's bar. Mm-hmm. But the space station computer has access to them at a at a super user level, so it can store people in it, <laughs> which is interesting. Like that's mm-hmm. that's a whole another like that's entirely possible. It's like as if we had like a lot of uh, cloud computing on mm-hmm. like a military platform, and you know it was just you know offered up via the taxpayers' money or whatever. But there's like. Are they spying <laughs> on people? Like, right. <laughs> like what you know? Like, what's the devil's bargain you're making here? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, there's a lot of. Impl- I think this is the fun thing about most DS9 episodes, where it's like there's so many implications about yes. like <laughs> all this stuff. Where she's like, just don't. It's just a show. Don't worry about it. Right. <laughs> and also, like, we exist today where we can. We actually have some language around this idea. Yeah. Of, like offsite computing and stuff, which not 1995. Yeah, yeah. Much more sci-fi. Like a lot of things that we just accept today or make some bones about, but not many mm-hmm. um, in 95, they would be like, why are you just accepting that? You know what I mean? Like in the yeah, same yeah. way that I'm doing this, like the cell phone I have in my pocket is definitely listening to me <laughs> talk yeah. to you right now. Like, uh, yeah. And someone in, in 95 would be like, why would you agree to that? Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm like, what? 
I mean, I haven't really agreed to it. I just bought the cell phone. That's right. all. Like, uh, but you did. And, it's just the world yeah. we live in. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, back into our story. Uh, uh, Bashir and, and, and Garrick have uh, uh, changed out of their tuxes. Bashir's kind of explaining his cover identity. Mm-hmm. But then they hear a noise and his the bar in his suite revolves <laughs> so, to reveal a half moon bed that comes out of the wall. And on that bed is uh, who we know as uh, Major Kira Norris. But is in this hollow on in this hollow simulation in a silk nightdress as a <laughs> Russian agent. Um, I'm going to be calling them their cast names because I don't remember. Um, Anastasia, but, yeah, Anastasia Kamananov. <laughs> of course, at first, uh, Julian glares at uh, Garrick and says, "Very funny, like okay, <laughs> you're really messing with my my simulation here." Um, but he says it's nothing to do with him, and. She does not break character as uh, she, you know, they have some dialogue establishing that she's a KGB agent. They clearly mm-hmm. have worked with and against each other in the past. Uh, she thought that he was dead and he's he has a, a line where he's like, I had a parachute and there was a submarine waiting for me. <laughs> <laughs> he asked the computer to restore the character parameters for her character. And the computer says that it's already correct. And then he says to freeze program and the computer is unable to comply due to shipwide emergency. As far as um, error messages go, I, I can't think of one more ominous than unable to comply. Like, that, like that, that's the last thing you want to hear uh, on a Starfleet uh, installation. Uh, they can contact the, the bridge and they get, you know, they kind of get the, the brief, you know, we have a situation here, um, but they hear Kira. They hear her voice, and so they check, and they see, yes, the hollow sweet memory core is holding the patterns of the crew. <laughs> so they, they want to leave the program running and don't leave because we don't want to disrupt the imaging array. We don't want to take any chances. Uh, Julian, of course, is not going to do anything to endanger his friends. Uh, back, I had a hard time phrasing, so it's not like back back on the holodeck, back in the right. suite. I kind of just say keep saying back in the story. Yeah, yeah. Because there's clearly a core story, which is what's happening in the holodeck. And yeah, this actually this is one of the few episodes that has no B plot. This is an all A plot episode. Yeah, the stuff that feels like a B plot is the stuff that makes the sets the stakes for the A plot, right. and that's it. Back in the story, uh, there's a great physical gag where she said, and she's doing this horrible Russian accent the whole time, right? And then there's this good physical gag where. She uh, says she she wishes she could relax him, and she leans back on the bed, but then whips back up holding a file folder and says, but I'm here on business. <laughs> There's been a string of artificial earthquakes. Mm-hmm. Garrick starts going, well, those are simple to handle. All you have right. to do is, <laughs> and Benji's like, that's not part of the fiction here. We we can't just fix earthquakes in this in this world, right? Which I like that too. Yeah, I really dug that little detail. In fact, it's it was one of those things where the character was doing it just as you were realizing, or I shouldn't mm-hmm. just as I was realizing. Oh yeah, Star Trek can deal with, and then right, th- this character is acknowledging that. So her her government and his government want them to cooperate to handle this crisis. Um, there's one clue: the leading seismologist, Professor Honey Bear, has vanished, kidnapped. <laughs> More good names. She has a headshot, and the headshot, of course, is of Dax wearing glasses. 
This is important later. Mm-hmm. Garrick uh, is not sure why, you know, why Bashir is getting so serious about this. And he explains that in the story, if Professor Honeybear, which I wrote down as Honeybear, one word like a honeybear, but yeah, uh, yeah. in the credits is honey space bear as in naked. So, yes. you know, it's every bit the pun, everything it could be. Um, but if she's killed in the story, then the computer will erase her pattern. And since this is the only copy of their pattern, it's essentially killing the real crew member. Like, they mm-hmm. will never come back, right? So our stakes have been established. Mm-hmm. Sure, it's a holodeck episode, but the bridge crew uh, is it's kind of a nice... I think it's a, it's a, you know, it's a first-timer in terms of this particular twist, where it's not that the people on the holodeck are the ones who are in danger, even though they are, because, of course, the safety controls have been turned off yeah. or whatever um but it's these you know this, the bridge crew who's in the in the, the the computer are the ones whose fates are at stake and i don't know if we've talked about safety controls in earlier episodes i'm, I'm sure just, we have <laughs> it's just it's just wonderful and thrilling to me that they need safety like there's something about the technology that is inherently violent or horrible that they have to have controls on rather than like sort of the other way around where why not just not add those things that would do harm to you. Right. Like, well, it's, it's wild that it's like, it's opt uh, out instead of opt in. Right. It's not like (laughs) anything by default could hurt you, but the safety controls will be on versus by default. It can't hurt you unless you want to turn on the danger mode, right? Or something like, (laughs) which might be a little better. Anyway, before we go on, I think this might be a good spot to play a little game. We like to call catch up. Mm. (laughs) Right. So let's talk about, uh, Kira. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple things that I'm guessing happens here, but I'm probably just filling in some blanks here. Mm -hmm. Number one, I'm guessing this character is, very different than how mm-hmm. Kira is normally. So they're playing up for laughs. Like mm-hmm. she would never, if she were to do this, uh, do a hollow deck thing, she would never play this character. Yes. Yeah. Uh, does Bashir have a thing for her? Is that a thing that, that has been established? Are they playing off of that as well? Or is that, uh, I don't recall where in the continuity we are with this, but mm-hmm. the original Bashir character was a total horn dog and right. like okay. hit on everyone. Yeah. Um I think at this part at, at this point that's been toned down. Mm-hmm. Um they don't have a relationship. I guess ironic may not ironically, but uh the actors actually apparently were in a relationship oh, at this okay. time. <laughs> According so to Memory Alpha. Um <laughs> But yeah, uh, Akira and Odo is a relationship that right. okay. happens. I, um, I think that happened, or there's something about that in an episode that we watched. Yeah, but uh, yeah, they don't, I mean, other than being shot down by her, like at some point, uh, right. they have more of a professional relationship. He has more of a longing for Dax, which I think maybe we see okay. at I was, the end. That's where, like, we haven't really gotten much of Dax's character yet at all. Uh, character within the, the the plot here, right? Um, okay, great. That's that got me caught up. I do have to make a comment that I do like that the implications here, much like how uh, modern computing seems to work, where the graphics card is where all <laughs> the hardcore computing goes on. Mm-hmm. That we have the holodeck is doing stuff far beyond what 
Right, because again, we have teleporting them on, this buffer expands so that we can encapsulate the consciousness of four, five, I can't remember mm. how many there. I think there's, um, there's four, yeah. Four. Uh, but then it degrades quickly. We need to find a place that, on this entire space station where we can do it. And the best place to hold all of that is the entertainment facility. <laughs> it's not like the battle computers or the, the yeah. you know. No, it's, it's the PS5. The PS5 is the one that can handle it. <laughs> absolutely 100%. That That is a believable thing to me. And also I will probably make concessions too. If if the computer has a priority system, it might also be like, we're, we're obviously not going to replace life support mm-hmm. with, with them. We're not going to replace, you know, the things that keep us in orbit. We're not going to, you know, like you go down this line of things until eventually you end up in Quark's bar. Right. But, uh, still I do like this, like, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a fun, a fun problem that is being presented here. Yeah. Um, once our stakes are established, uh, the door opens. Oh no. (laughs) It's Mona, but then she falls forward and there's a knife standing out of her back. Classic. And two goons with guns escort in Chief O'Brien. However, he is wearing the eye patch. Yes. The eye patch has a falcon on it. This is the, yeah, this is the moment when I realized that. Oh, that's such a good touch. <laughs> Chief. No. It's Falcon. Nice to see you, Mr. Bashir. Now, I think we have a little unfinished business. <laughs> Cut to commercial. We are going to take a little break in the middle of our episode here so that we can stretch, maybe get a beverage or a snack and talk about the other places that you can find us on the Internet. Epi, if our listeners want more Epi, where can they go to get maximum Epi? You can find uh, me at my website, digathousandholes.com. That's dig1000holes.com or you can get my sword and sorcery fiction and games at worldswithoutmaster.com. That's worlds, plural, master, singular. If you want to engage with me on the social medias, the best place to go right now is Mastodon at Epidiah at Dice.camp. Nathan, if they want to get Maximum Nathan, where do they have to go for that? I should have gone Maximum Nathan. Maximum Nathan can be found at my website ndpdesign.com that's the hub for all my stuff on the internet including all my uh, role-playing games zines and other podcasts uh so if you're interested in pro wrestling detectives mm-hmm. or zines about pro wrestling <laughs> among other things um those are all at my website it also has links to contact me in other ways currently i'm still um posting on instagram at ndpaoletta that's where I'm posting pictures of my dog. Uh, you can also find me at cohost, cohost.org slash NDP. That is a fun, small scale social media site that I'm enjoying quite a lot. And now we return to the continuing adventures of Jimbo Rockfish. So O'Brien has been cast into this character that we'd already technically seen. Right. We're, we're seeing the full import of, uh, or I guess for the full extent of, uh, of the changes to the program. We're we're starting to see that these characters aren't all going to be on his side too, which right. is a nice complication. Yeah, well, and that yeah causes the actual drama of the episode. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, because back from commercial, he clarifies for for us just in case we weren't paying attention. Uh, should have used something a little more lethal than a champagne cork. <laughs> Kira wants him to wait. Uh, let us have one last kiss 
And he says, why not? I've always been a romantic at heart. <laughs> they do have a prolonged kiss. Mm-hmm. And we see Bashir palm the earring off of one of her ears. And then uh, just as Falcon is getting impatient, he tosses it. It explodes. And there's a brief <laughs> uh, a brief brawl. And I noticed here that we have the the music here is very oh, yeah. 007. Like, yes, it's really, really hitting it. Our spies win, of course. Garrick is bleeding, uh, so this is how they know that apparently the safeties are off. Um, Kira and her character is is going to kill Falcon, uh, and Bashir says no. Mm-hmm. But he's been trying to kill you for nine years. Garrick isn't so sure that he shouldn't, uh, because. As a practical man, mm-hmm. here's our first kind of uh, confrontation of his sensibility as a, quote, real spy versus right. Bashir. So he's saying, this isn't a game that's all going to be all right in the end. You have to act like this is real. And if it comes down to you or him, mm-hmm. you need to choose you. Uh, and by implication, me, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> of course. Bashir says that he'll he's willing to make that choice, but now isn't the time. He'll wait until... You know, it becomes necessary. Uh, Kira fills in more about the one lead they have to go on. Apparently, 60 scientists and artisans have disappeared in the last few years, all having to do something with, with this enigmatic Dr. Noah. Um, mm, who they think a... is behind this. The name is very good. Yeah. And the only lead they have is that before disappearing, they went to a to this particular nightclub and... Bashir, of course, knows that it's time to go back to Paris. <laughs> in Quark's uh, bar, um, they're looking at the guts of the hollow suites. Uh, Rom, Quark's brother, is, of course, the engineer who actually keeps everything running. You know, apparently he's been using all kinds of hacks, including a spatula, because it's <laughs> the right kind of material for bridging, blah, blah, blah. Um but Eddington finds the memory core in there and scans it and and is relieved that all their patterns are there intact. However, he's not reading any neural energy. Where are their brain patterns? And Quark supposes, and is later borne out, mm-hmm. uh, they must be everywhere else. They must be, they're so big that they're what's taking up all of the station systems. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why nothing is working. Like the lights are still off. Like everything is in like right, minimal right. like support mode. So we have a tense Odo. How do we get them back? <laughs> we have a great establishing shot of go-go dancers in this Paris nightclub. Yes. <laughs> um, there's a note in the memory alpha uh, write up that apparently this particular scene was like really extravagantly staged. Like if you look at the people in the background, like the costumes and right uh, and everything are were really, they really went gung ho, but it turned out that it just wasn't on screen very much. And it's kind of a shame. <laughs> like they're not really in focus <laughs> and they're not there for very long. Maybe, you know, if you do another watch, pay attention to the background because it's apparently very cool. Um, Bashir claims that he has an invitation to see Dr. Noah. And so he is led to Worf wearing a fully white suit. He is Duchamp. Dr. Noah's associate. <laughs> Turns out he does not have an invitation. Uh, so why does he want to see Dr. Noah? Worf enjoys a fine cigar while they tell him a cover story that Bashir is a leading geologist. Uh, Kira is his wife. Uh, Mr. Garrick is his associate. <laughs> but he's a leading geologist and he knows that Dr. Noah is interested in the sciences and he doesn't want to be left out. Worf says a meeting can be arranged for a price. Five billion francs. 
<laughs> Bashir drops a bill on the table. So this is all occurring. Worf is sitting behind. It's a Baccarat table, right. I guess. And there's like the, the shuffler with the cards and the big stack of cash in front of him. So he so Bashir drops a bill and says, uh, No problem. I do not understand. Where's the rest of your money? Right in front of you. Shall we begin? Uh, I feel like there's a probably appropriate for this story lack of understanding of what the worth of currency is. It, five million francs in 1964, I think. That, that's an extravagant amount of money to yeah to win at a table. Or to demand for this. Yeah, exactly. Equivalent, uh, I don't know, gatekeeping scenes in Bond movies. The money isn't the point. Right. Right? It's like sitting at the table and like... Winning or losing might be the point, but the amount of money doesn't matter, right? Yeah. So it is kind of an interesting, like, echoing through the eras. Yes. <laughs> this is some detail that's like, oh, of course, this is in this this story. Um, back on the station, uh, they uh, they have learned that a Cardassian separatist group has claimed responsibility for the sabotage to the runabout. Uh, this is also dropping some information that is going to be built on later for later storylines. This is the first uh. mention of the separatist group, and then it becomes a whole thing later in the season. They confirm that Quark was right. Their neural patterns are throughout the station. They need to reintegrate the neurological and physical pattern. To do so, they can use the systems on the Defiant, which is the starship that they have at their disposal, uh, since they're independent of the station. Uh, but ROM systems aren't meant to interface with Starfleet, so he's going to have to make modifications. Now, this introduces... <laughs> I mean, I guess I guess their technicians know better than I do. <laughs> but... Well, there's a third... There, yeah, there's a, there, there's a third um, uh, sphere of influence here, because the station systems are um cardassian because it's a cardassian station right okay and the hollow suites were there before starfleet took over so okay. the station systems are integrated right like this i mean i guess the logic here as someone who's seen the show yeah, is that yeah. the cardassian systems and the whatever the, the hollow suite systems those are already integrated right but now the starfleet systems that's a separate entity, and those are the ones that need to get engineered, right? So I get okay. So this is this is my thing, and like we don't have to dwell on this in the slightest. <laughs> but uh, the introduction of this other ship nearby, yeah, hanging out, uh, made me wonder. You got them in the buffer. You need to put them somewhere. Why not just transport them to this other ship right off the bat? Right. Like that was the like if if we're unloading a car and you suddenly hand me something that's too heavy for me to carry, I can either spread it all out on the ground or put it in the car right next to it, you know, like on the, in a wheelbarrow or on the car, you know, like it's so, it just had this like, uh, again, they're the technicians. They understand their technology better than I do, but I would, it would seem like the choice that doesn't make this story go forward. Right, right. Yeah. There's two, I think there's two reasons. One is, you know, it's an emergency situation. They don't have yeah. time to integrate with the Defiant. Maybe no one's on the Defiant, right? It could that just could, be yeah. there. Um, yeah. Answer number two is because then we don't have the story. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in our story, we see Bashir drop a hand of nine, winning five million mm -hmm. francs. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, being a red-blooded American male, I've seen my share of 
uh, James Bond movies. Yeah. I have fond memories of um, in the pre-streaming era of I think maybe TBS. I don't know one one of the like cable channels would have a Thanksgiving James Bond marathon yeah. every year, and many Thanksgivings I would be at like a relative's house where they had cable, so I would like watch a bunch of Bond movies all night, like that kind yes. of thing. <laughs> Um, so I've certainly seen my share of Bond and I have looked up Baccarat cause I'm like, what is this game? <laughs> and, uh, it seems incredibly opaque. Every time I've watched a Bond film that's had it in there, I have thought to myself, when we're done with this, I'm going to bring up a YouTube video that'll teach me how to play, mm-hmm. which is the exact same feeling I have whenever I see something that mentions cricket. Mm-hmm. And in both cases, I never do. Like whenever I'm done with the thing, I move on with my day and I forget it. Um, but yeah, it yeah, Baccarat is I think oh man, I'm probably gonna my, get this wrong. My vague memory, and I this is just from reading Wikipedia probably years ago, is that it's basically blackjack, but yeah. that nine is the best hand. Yeah. That's what you're trying to get. Um and maybe the cards only go to nine or something like that. In in Bond movies they always have these very stylized cards, right? Um, right. And here they just use playing cards, which I guess is so that the audience knows what they are. I do think it's a missed opportunity to do, a missed opportunity to use like fancy cards that have like a Star Trek e look to them instead of like you know right. something just like I don't know. This is what a card could look like. But this is neither here nor there. But it's a, I think that the joke I think with Backrat and Bond specifically is that it's it's kind of like craps. It's in, it's almost entirely chance. There's very little strategy. It's like it, it is almost entirely a game of just like, do you get the cards or don't you? So okay, here we go. This Maybe is I'm wrong. No, no, no. You're right. So I think nine is what you're going for, but it's this is how it works. Two through nine are worth their face value. Ten, Jack, Queen, and King have no value. They're zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a there's a reason for that, uh, which I'll get to in a moment. Aces are worth one point, and jokers are not used. But here's the thing. The hands are valued at modulo 10, which means you're just looking at the, the ones digit mm-hmm. on it, which is why 10, jack, queen, king have no point value because they're add 10 to something. It never changes right. the, the ones digit. So you're trying to get as close to nine. But if you go over, you end up with a lower number, right? Like right. if you go to 12. It's a two. Yeah, it's a two. I wonder if you can keep going or if you go over 10, you can no longer because, yeah, it has to be it has to stop somewhere. Otherwise, you would just go through the whole deck until you maybe it's like blackjack where like you have to get it in the minimum. Like if you get whoever gets it in less cards. Right. Would, yeah, would it could be. Yeah, like that. I don't know. I'm again, we're we're now reading Wikipedia to our yeah, listening yeah. audience, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's good radio. I I remember seeing the observation at some point, similar to how, like, you know, Bond wants his martinis shaken, not stirred, and that actually weakens the martini because it, right. like, crushes the, the ice and waters it down. Uh, <laughs> and so that's actually kind of like a affectation so that he doesn't get so drunk or, like, whatever. Um, the fact that he's, like, so good at Baccarat is just, like, he's just lucky. He's just a very lucky yeah. man. Um <laughs> I, I mean, I started this episode saying that I recently watched the first two Bond films, and it's 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 funny to watch uh, a character, a franchise, an IP accrue its iconic. Right. Yeah. Right. Because um, those are what Doc, Doctor No and Doctor No, yes, or Doctor Noah. Right. <laughs> which is great. Uh, and then uh, Thunderball. Mm-hmm. 
in Doctor No, you know, Bond is like a like a bit of a playboy or whatever, but it's it's not over the top. It's not weird until later in the the movie. It's almost like he's on like a normal detective sleuthing mission. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> and then the the sort of uh reveal or whatever is like a everyone's afraid of this dragon that's on this island that turns out to be a flamethrowing tank. And then you get into the the layer of the uh, the villain, and then it really gets Bondy at that point. Right. But it feels a bit like or Bondesque, <laughs> but it feels like that Bondesque ishness <laughs> is meant to be uh, like drawing the audience into a weirder and weirder world kind of thing. There's a there's a point where you're in the Doctor No's lair. He's having dinner with Doctor No. They're under. There's some the, the part of the layer is uh, under steel level, and they have these big glass walls, and you can see all these fish. But the glass walls are designed to magnify the fish, because you think Bond villain, this is mm. going to be like all these deadly fish or whatever. And it, no, it's just like regular tropical fish, but magnified so they look bigger, and that's it. Like like. In the story, he explains that they're magnified to mm-hmm. look bigger and more impressive. You go to the second one, and in the second one, he immediately uses a jetpack to escape. Right, right. And like that's the one that has like a villain that has a swimming pool full of sharks. Mm-hmm. They they go all all out. But uh, the thing I was going to mention was in that first. I think it's the first one where before he gets assigned to the mission, they change his gun. They give him the Walter. PPK, which is the the gun that yeah the iconic gun the iconic, and he hates he hates it right he doesn't want it he wants the gun he was using and they're like that's not you know the one that we issue double O's or whatever the deal is and it's just kind of funny to just mm-hmm. like in the beginning he's like I don't want this gun and then it's like this is the this is the gun that Bond uses yeah 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 absolutely I'll, I'll say I think Doctor No stands up better than a lot of them just because it is so weird yeah. and stylized like it has the great um opening credit design yes. with like the dots and stuff and i guess that's maurice binder it reminds me of salt bass but uh yeah you know it's a, a different guy anyway um yeah I, I i i find that one pretty rewatchable yeah personally anyhow <laughs> back in our story uh after Bashir wins the five million francs he says baccarat and geology are my life <laughs> uh we see Worf take a special cigar out of his cigar case and when they ask when do we leave he says right now and then he shoots knockout gas <laughs> through the cigar into all of their faces which is a wonderful bad guy bond thing yes uh we cut to an opulent stateroom somewhere obviously cold there's snow outside garrick looks around and says another decorator's nightmare <laughs> <laughs> yes i do like his disdain for the uh the period pieces. Yeah. Um, Captain Cisco appears. Uh, he is here in uh, the role of Hippocrates Noah. <laughs> Such a good name. Which is extremely good. And I think he's his his costume is a direct Dr. No. Yeah. Uh, it appears to be. Homage, I think. The like it's it's like the Nehru jacket with like the little buttons. Looks good, I will say. Avery Brooks looks good in a yeah. Doctor No jacket. I'm gonna I'm gonna say this now uh, before we get into it, but like Avery Brooks is amazing in this role. <laughs> he all of the ones where he gets to like go kind of wild, yeah, yeah, are extremely good. I mean he he's a really interesting actor 
it's really interesting him in the role in this Captain Cisco role because he's very not like other captains. I don't know. We don't need yeah. to go down a whole nother digression, but his energy often is a little manic, but it has to be mm-hmm. very restrained in his like as Captain Cisco. Yeah. So when he gets to just like lean into it, it's it's really fun to watch. And he leans and it's so good. He kind of gives Bashir like a little test for his cover story with this like Jim encrusted bowl thing. And he's like, uh, Bashir runs down all the jewels that are <laughs> in it, uh, ending with like, and these judging from the, the carbonization of these emeralds, they must come from the Tibetan region, which is no surprise. As I say, we're on the southeastern slope of Mount Everest at about 22,000 feet. 25 actually (laughs) uh he's handing out cigars all around noah and his friends value their privacy and don't welcome for example men from world governments who disagree with his philosophy (laughs) and what is your philosophy are you some kind of anarchist quite the opposite i believe in an orderly world a far cry from the chaos we find ourselves in today we are building A new future here. A new beginning for mankind. A new chapter in human history will open right here on my island. Island. Forgive me. Sometimes I do get ahead of myself. Allow me to explain. (laughs) And so we get the the, uh, iconic Bond villain explanation. Um, where he hits a button and his, the whole back wall slides up into the ceiling and the computer console turns around and there's a big world map with dots on it and uh, and, and Dax as Dr. Honeybear walking around back there doing things with the computer. They have seeded uh, the world with lasers in these critical points that can penetrate the Earth's crust. And so their tests mm-hmm. have been was being creating these artificial earthquakes. When they all go off together, it will create a worldwide earthquake. Um, they, you know, talk through the horror that that will create, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that that will kill everyone on the planet. Dr. Noah says that it, there comes a time when a house is so infested by termites that you must burn down the house. Um, I keep calling him Dr. Noah as opposed to Cisco because it is such a great yes. uh, inhabitation. <laughs> um, but that's just a side effect. The lasers will release uh, uh, magma to the surface uh, of the of the world and all these places. And what happens next? You know, geologist Bashir, uh, with dawning horror, he says that the tectonic plates will settle, shrinking the surface of the earth. <laughs> and so the oceans will expand, except for the top of Mount Everest. It'll be the only island where they can repopulate the human race. <laughs> but it's a pity that you won't be around to join us, Mr. Bashir. Obviously, his cover was not good enough for a man of Dr. Noah's intellect. He's hired the greatest protection that money can buy. He presses a button, and Falcon joins them. (laughs) Oh, so good. Uh, We uh, have a brief moment on the station where Rom and Eddington are working feverishly to connect things. He needs another hour, and Eddington says, O'Brien's going to kill me when he gets back. (laughs) Because there's just, like, stuff everywhere. There's hoses yeah. and, and, like, tools. And, yeah, that's a scene of chaos. Back in our story, Garrick and Bashir are tied to two legs of one of the lasers in an underground chamber uh, that is apparently close to their location. When it fires, the cave is going to fill with molten lava. They ask where 
Kira, uh, Kira's character is. She's a woman with spirit, and she's young and healthy. We'll need women like her to propagate the second human race. <laughs> um, he flips the switch for the five-minute countdown that even he can't stop and ends with a great, try to stay cool, Mr. Bashir. <laughs> Hitting all the high points of our genre here. Uh, we come back from commercial on seeing that there's 345 left in the countdown. Garrick doesn't want to die tied to a 20th century laser. He wants to call for the exit. Like, we can stop this. We can get out of this. But Bashir and Stan have they can't disrupt the program because that will kill all of their, you know, all their friends. Yeah. That's when uh, Dax comes back in to, again, <laughs> vaguely check something on the computer. Uh, and Bashir says, this is our ticket out of here. And so he, uh, we get the um, Bond, I don't know. I don't find him particularly seductive in this moment, well, but he's playing up the like. There's there's a thing happening here, right? I was I, I was thinking about the um, the tensions in this episode, right? Because we have we have a bunch of different stakes here. Some are more real than others, right? Right. Like the the doomsday device, no stakes at all. That that is just an imaginary world that is going to you know if. if if you were playing this hollow novel and nothing else was going on and they didn't end up with the rest of the crew stuck inside, uh, he could have lost. He could have failed this and he was just felt bad about failing. It wouldn't have actually cost any actual lives or anything. Then you have the stakes of the lives of uh, our crews that are suspended in the holodeck. And so you have to, like, be careful about how you handle your enemies and all of that. And that's that's great. And then you have your stakes of like the the sort of outside that's also working. I, those aren't separate stakes, but they're right. working towards the same stakes. But what what's also fun is that you have different levels of um, I'm going to say gameplay. Yeah, outside yeah. they're doing this technical thing. On the inside, based on these imaginary stakes of the earthquakes, you get into the Bond uh, story. But what's actually happening in air quotes. Uh, is Bashir is playing a video game. Right, right. And he's yeah. like, this is the point in the video game where I have to go through the romance dialogue. Right, right. In order to continue. Mm -hmm. So he's just selecting the, let, let's get those glasses off of you and see what you look like underneath. Yeah. Like these very uh, corny. Yeah, they're corny. It's totally yeah. corny. Like even for a Bond film, this mm -hmm. would be too, probably. Yeah. Uh, too too corny and but garrick does still doesn't really have the full context so he's like what are you doing yeah that's not gonna work and like, <laughs> she's like shut this. up yeah like i need to select the dialogue <laughs> yeah it does kick off with uh a man like dr noah only appreciates you for your brain he can't appreciate your beauty <laughs> i have a last request take off those glasses yeah she takes off her glasses and you have such wonderful hair i think it would look so beautiful if it was you know if you let it flow free and she lets down her hair garrick cuts in with uh you know doctor this is much more than i ever wanted to know about your fantasy life <laughs> seeing her like yeah. that is the last thing he wants to remember before he dies and she says thank you and walks away then turns and comes back and gives him a kiss and then she leaves and garrick's like uh what <laughs> <laughs> yeah look. but you see that is when bashir stole the key for the handcuffs off of her while she was close to him ha ha oh kiss the girl get the key they never taught me that in the obsidian order <laughs> i i will admit to being slightly disappointed that 
the glasses weren't the secret. Like he uh-huh. wasn't wasn't able to like use the glasses to focus the laser beam somewhere. Sure. But the you know because because he was asking for the glasses, it just felt like. But then once we saw what the laser beams were, there was no way. They're cutting through the core, like the, the yeah, yeah, the, the crust of the earth. Like they're pretty serious. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they run through the cave as uh, it starts to shake and rocks are falling around them. Um, they need to get to the control room uh, again. Getting back to the game aspect, the finale to the story is that either uh, Ramamana, either Kira's character <laughs> or Dax's character, yes dies one of them turns on dr noah and right or yeah one of them ends up with with beshir and one of them dies uh so they need to make sure that they both survive and he's he's putting together his tiny gun which i think is a is supposed to be a walter uh ppk uh that he you know had all the pieces for in his jacket <laughs> as he tells garrick that this is my fantasy trust me this leads to the the emotional core of our episode where garrick right. yeah. uh turns to him and says, no, you're just putting us all into danger. We have no guarantee this will work. We should just quit. Yeah. But there comes a time when the odds are against you and the only reasonable course of action is to quit. Quit? Yes. Is that what they taught you at the Obsidian Order? To give up when things get tough? As a matter of fact, they did. That's why I've managed to stay alive while most of my colleagues are dead because I know when to walk away and that time is now. Now. And you'd know that, Doctor, if you were a real intelligence agent. Bashir uh, confronts him, says, Am I bruising your ego by play-acting at something you take so very seriously? A real intelligence agent has no ego, no conscience, no remorse, only a sense of professionalism. And Mai says, (laughs) It's time to go. So he starts to call for the exit, and Bashir pulls his gun on him and says he's not going to let Sisko and the others die. Garrick, uh, you won't pull the trigger. You dream of being a hero because deep down you know you're not. Which is, in context of the journey of Bashir throughout the show, is a fairly insightful... Oh, good. This conversation hooks into both of their characters as we see them in other parts of the show. Oh, that's great. Bashir says that, uh, like, I may not be a hero, but I know how to make a choice. Yeah. Garrick shouts for the computer, but Bashir shoots wings him in the neck and he goes down bleeding <laughs> it's quite the shot and then Oof. he come, goes and checks and says uh, oh it's just a flesh wound you're gonna be okay what if you killed me what makes you think i wasn't trying <laughs> and then we end with doctor i do believe there's hope for you yet <laughs> i really do like this uh this this aspect of it the uh slightly dangerous but and like hardened spy real spy mm-hmm. like make it he's he's lying the there's a time when the odds are against you and there's no reasonable course of action but to quit mm-hmm. it'll get echoed in just a, in a little bit and uh it's it's a great i don't know i i think it's very well handled and it it, it makes the characters more interesting to me mm-hmm. i guess like i don't I don't already have stakes in these characters. So the show does a great job of giving me those stakes by setting them at odds with each other there. It's also yeah. at this point when I realized that Julian Brashear's initials are JB, James <laughs> Bond. And I don't know why that didn't occur to me throughout. But I actually had not uh, put that together myself. <laughs> Very nice. Um, yeah, I think there is, you know, like so much of, of DS9, there's like these things where if you are a franchise viewer, right? you know, they it does reward you for knowing about the characters and even knowing about how they're going to end up. Um, 
because this some of this stuff echoes through later events for both of these characters. Garrick in particular is interesting because he has this quality, and I think a lot of it is is um, you know credit to the to the actor uh, Andrew Robinson. Mm-hmm. He has this quality where you feel like you've you finally settled on what his deal is, and then right. he flips a little bit, and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> So there is more there. He has another yeah. deal. Uh, so like this, this thing at the end was like, there's hope for you yet. It's kind of like, was this whole conversation just to like push Julian to like get him more committed? Right. Yeah. To making hard decisions or something like, at least I, I, I have that thought. Um, and it's, uh, it's good stuff. Well, he does. He definitely plays with, cause he could call for the exit at any time. Right. And uh, there's this moment where they're tied to the lasers when he doesn't, but specifically asks Bashir to do it. And so, like, he's 100% pressuring Bashir into making the decisions. Right. Even when he goes to call, it's because he's putting it in Bashir's court to stop him. Mm-hmm. And that's great. Yeah, Like, you can see it happening and you're like, oh, okay, all right. And with him, it it hooks into a lot of his other stuff where it's like his style is to get other people to do things. Mm -hmm. Is that because he wanted you to do it in the first place or is it because he's taking advantage of an opportunity? And are you doing it because it's what what Garrick wants you to do? Or are you doing it because Garrick wants you to know that you have done a thing? He doesn't care what it was, but he wants you to have done it so that you know going forward. Like it's uh, there's layers. There's good stuff. Good. That's good. But yes, Bashir leads on to the control room. They burst in. There's a nice detail where uh, Garrick takes down Falcon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, Julian frees Kira. Uh, she wants to kill Dr. Noah, but Julian says it's not not this time. And then Worf reappears. He has uh, the drop on everyone. <laughs> Eddington calls in, says they're going to try re- rematerializing in two minutes. Yeah. So he has a two-minute countdown. In what is perhaps the most accurate engineering time estimate in all of Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. Start the <laughs> clock. Noah has no pretensions about the idea of being a hero and he levels a gun at Bashir. And then Bashir says, maybe I'm tired of being a hero. I've been thinking it over and your way may be the only way. Yeah. Uh, so we have some good dialogue here. Um, you expect me to believe that a man who's devoted his whole life to working against people like me. And he says, what sense is there in defending a doomed planet? And here he immediately repeats all of Garrick's lines that he had just rejected. I'm an intelligence agent. And if there's any one thing I've learned, it is that there comes a point when the odds are against you and there is no reasonable course of action but to quit. How do you think I've managed to stay alive so long when all of my compatriots are dead? It is because I have known when to walk away. That's that's a very, like... What's his name? The most recent um, Daniel Craig. Yeah, that's a very like Daniel Craig Bond. Yeah, kind of kind of vibe. And it, uh, the recontextualization of all of it is great. Uh, that mm, that's good. That's good craftsmanship. We have tense music as they cut back to Rom. We see them starting the the, the data transfer. We go back into our world. Doctor Noah says he makes a compelling argument, but I've been looking forward to killing you for a long time. <laughs> While. Uh, Julian's been talking. He's moved over to the computer console um, and says, you may need someone like me. Dr. Noah says, what you, you like, you can't stop the computer or something like that. Yeah. And he says, that's not what I want to do. And he hits the button himself to, to <laughs> shoot the, shoot the lasers. Kira goes, you've destroyed the world. 
and on the screen behind them, we see the sea level rising and all the continents disappearing underneath the graphic. It's an incredibly fast and calming apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very satisfying to watch the sea levels rise. Mm-hmm. And there's no like alarm bells going off. The world's not shaking from their point of view. It's very like... <sighs> yeah, it's it's like they, t- they talked about how the earthquakes are going to kill everyone, but apparently, uh, you know, the sea level rises quickly enough that yeah, yeah, it's like, <laughs> we're all done. Yep, it's working just as you've planned. You've done it, Doctor. Yes, but somehow I didn't expect to win. <laughs> yes. I guess the last thing to do now is kill you, and that's when they finally beam out our cast. Right before Dr. Noah pulls the trigger, and now they can leave the Hall of Sweets safely. We end our episode with a final exchange between Bashir and Garrick. Garrick says, interesting, you saved the day by destroying the world. (laughs) He says there's lots of things they didn't teach him in the Obsidian Order, like how indulging in fantasy can keep the mind creative. Oh, yeah. Lunch tomorrow. That's the thing. They they have lunch every day. That's like, oh, (laughs) so lunch tomorrow. Uh. Yes, but at your place in Hong Kong, unless this was your last mission, I think it's safe to say that Julian Bashir, secret agent, will return. I love that ending line. That's great. That's perfect. My question is, did he? Um, There are a couple other episodes where they're in this world, um, but they're not about it in this way. It's more like Uh. part of the like background or like where's Bashir? And they like are the B plot is that he like, there's one where he's like, miles, I need you to come be in my program. He's like, Oh, do I have to be a Falcon again? Right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I don't remember how often it happens, but there's one or two other bits where uh, he gets to, to, to put the tux back on. Um, Obviously it's, you know, heavily, uh, uh, heavily inspired by homage to, et cetera. Uh, They apparently did receive an angry letter from MGM about how, how close it was to their property. Wow. Nothing ever came of it, but they were, they were, they were, they were scolded for, uh, you know, getting too close. Apparently. Oh, that's how, you know, you've made it right. Exactly. Uh, apparently MGM did not find imitation to be the sincerest form of flattery is, uh, <laughs> is a quote. Yeah. There's a fifth season episode where they go back to, to some of this stuff. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Like I said uh, at the beginning, like I didn't have a lot of the contextual information to see, how like some of the more what I assume were really fun bits of how the bond uh, tropes mushed on top of deep space nine characters and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But without, even without that, the whole episode uh, played out in a very, very entertaining way and got across like a lot of the stuff that it needed to get across, uh, which is good. It was, I think it was fairly well crafted. My only like thing and this isn't a complaint. It's just mm. they had a nice tension there where there, it, it, there's this race between what's happening in the story and then what the the um, technical work happening outside the story. Right. And uh, they could have leaned into that just a little bit more. Right. But mm-hmm. I guess the best way to fail to do that is by leaning on the Bond story more, which is right. what they did here. And that, yeah, that it's like, fine. I'm not sure what of that I would, you know, want to trim out so that I could see more of like Rom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like Rom, but yeah, but there could have been like some uh, uh, made up drama. Well, it's all made up drama, so it doesn't matter. But like, like, oh, we need this from we need to quick 
negotiate with this person to get this thing so that we can, you know, we don't have a coupling or whatever. Uh, like the, the defiance transporters are on a, uh, maintenance cycle and yeah. we need to wait for them to finish or something like that. Yeah. And the way to interweave that with the inner one is to first tell them we'll have this done in 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And so you get to like, okay, we'll just, we'll just l- luxuriate and enjoy mm-hmm. the gambling scene. Cause right. why not? That'll be fun. It'll take up some time. Yeah. No one's going to die while we're playing Baccarat. Cause that's yeah. not what happens in this kind of story. And then they're like, well, our 10 minutes are up. Let me just uh, win this game because I really want to win this game against Worf. <laughs> and they do, and then suddenly they get the call that says mm-hmm. you got to stall for more time. You know, like that kind of sure, like, yeah, 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 drama. I mean, the, the the emphasis is clearly on having fun with the Bond stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like yeah. all the, and this is one of those. I think some similar to Fistful of Data's, where it was like everyone was having a ton of fun. Everyone, yeah, you know, they love <laughs> like playing dress up, right, and like having yeah. silly accents <laughs> and all that stuff. Let them do that. I do think it's funny how like, so everyone really like gets into character, um, except, and I think this is in character, that Worf is just Worf wearing a suit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, he doesn't do an accent. He doesn't like, yeah. like act weird. I mean, he smokes a cigar, I guess. Yeah. But like, his affect is exactly the same. He, the way he delivers lines is exactly the same. And I think that's actually very Worf. So yeah, that's, that's fun. <laughs> Uh, and there's also an aspect to to O'Brien in as yeah, Falcon. You know, I mean, O'Brien is the most abused character in all of Star Trek. He has all kinds of crazy stories where he uh, he goes undercover uh, for Federation intelligence uh, on this planet, and I forget exactly what the the situation is, but he like has to deal with all these like criminals and stuff. And there's like another episode where he gets stuck in a prison, and he's like. The, the prison is like for the mind and he lives an entire life that oh, happens and yes. like actually happens in like five minutes or something. But like, yeah. it's like he's lived his entire life uh, in a prison and he like totally changes all these really horrible experiences. He's taken over by different entities all the time. So like mm-hmm. he's always doing stuff like he's always acting in different situations and so he was the least out of place to me because it was like oh o'brien is just acting differently this is a tuesday right yeah (laughs) he gets to do a thing where he wears an eye patch um okay Mm -hmm. (laughs) but yeah fun to watch everyone have fun and uh i know i hadn't really remembered this that this particular premise this particular twist and you know nice to see another another oh no they're stuck on the holodeck episode that has like that tension and those stakes that yeah. feels natural and makes, you know, get, gives a reason to watch this one in particular over any of the other ones. Yeah. At the beginning, I had a little bit of an eye roll thing. Cause I was like, Oh, okay. They're going to kill off. They're going to kill off four members of the cast. Like uh-huh. they're, you just know that they're not, even if it's one member of the cast, but like, but, but then when the, when it became obvious that the conceit was there each one of them is going to inhabit a different character. Then you're like, oh, right. That's why we. That's why we took four members of the main cast right. and did that with it. Like we. Mm-hmm. Uh, wait, four, five? No, it's five members. I'm counting this wrong. O'Brien, Worf, Cisco, Dax, and Kira. Oh, you're right. There is five. Yeah. I keep not counting I, uh, O'Brien or Worf when I count through all of them yeah. because they're in like <laughs> totally different scenes. And 
I mean, like, I remember thinking at the very beginning when we saw the runabout with all of them in it, I was like, why did they shove all of the command crew right, right. <laughs> into a single roundabout? It's like, ah, for just this reason. Yes. yes. Yeah. Oh, this was a fun one. I'm glad you, yeah. you picked it. Um, we will <laughs> continue surveying our options for our, our next episodes and um, continue to explore all of the things that the holodeck has to has to offer us. Do you have any 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 other thoughts on our man Bashir? Uh, I am looking forward to uh, I insert Star Trek Thunderball pun here, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, God, what would be a good Star Trek James Bond hmm. live and let transport? <laughs> uh, uh, it'd be something like uh, like the Ferengi who loved me. Yeah, there or you something go. Like yes. that. I look forward to the Frankie who loved me. Mm-hmm. Or the Frankie who came out of the cold. Mm-hmm. But that's not that's not Bond, that's uh Smiley. The the Cardassian who came out of the cold is kind of Garrick. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, we will see if there's more little allusions in other episodes, <laughs> but uh, I think we have uh, you know, earned our twenty bars of gold pressed latinum for today. <laughs> uh but we will be back next time to talk about another holodeck episode of Star Trek. Gonna break character and just do the rock for violence.